0: And welcome to the Bible Bitches podcast, where we talk about biblical and religious topics from a feminist comedic perspective. And I'm here with Sarah Hoff, the one and only awesome agnostic living in LA, California. Can I
1: change my adjective?
0: Yeah, what is your adjective?
1: I'm going to think about that. Amazing. Amazing. Um, Ambi- articulate. Ambiguous. Ambiguous. <laughs> um, <laughs> Inspiring. Yes. Yeah.
0: The awe-inspiring agnostic living Altru- in-
1: Altruistic. The awe-inspiring that's not, that's not
0: altruistic I- agnostic <laughs> living. Yes. I'm going to just...
1: I like that we're committing to it being alliteration to agnostic. Yeah, I, I love
0: it. Who doesn't love alliteration?
1: You don't even get an adjective. And I'm talking to Laura Barclay, a beautiful Baptist minister located <laughs> in Louisville, Kentucky. Thank you. And today is part two of Christian Relics. The yeah, realish ones, in the sense that we can see them, but we're not sure if they are actually what they say they are. So in this episode, we are covering the Shroud of Turin, yes, supposedly the linen garment Jesus' body was wrapped in at death that has his image on it, the Scala Santa, supposedly steps Jesus walked to to go to trial before his death, and the two we have seen Mary's house in Turkey and Moses' as well in Egypt. I think I may be wrong on that one. Am I right on that one? I don't know. I didn't
0: look it up. I didn't see the thing. I don't know.
1: I, I think I may have been wrong.
0: What What did you want to you, you want to talk about?
1: Um, I mean, I'm down to talk about the Nagamati.
0: Okay. So, and the Nagamati. Which, but is that a relic? Well, it's a library, right? So it would have housed all the, like, Coptic. So it's got Coptic writings from... Like the Gospel of Mary Magdala, the yeah. Gospel of Thomas, right? So these are the Coptic Gospels that were found several centuries later after the ones that um, that sort of made it into the canon, the Bible. Um, there were uh, people in Egypt that kind of just kept going with the story, right? They were like, well, let's write it from Mary's perspective. Well, let's write it from Thomas's perspective. And um, it's like really cool stuff. I like it. Um, but it wasn't seen as quote-unquote legit because it was written later on.
1: Yeah, I mean, I saw, I mean, we went to the Egyptian Museum and the Valley of the Gods I'm so and the um, pyramids. So cool. It was a lot of fun. That's awesome. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all about a FOMA right
1: now. Um <laughs>
0: So first up is the Shroud of Turin. According to an article called Why Shroud of Turin's Secrets Continue to Elude Science, written by Frank Viviano and published in National Geographic in 2015, the shroud was found by a French knight named Geoffrey de Charnay in 1353, and he left it at a monastery in Liry, France, 130 miles east of Paris. By the early 16th century, it had been moved to the city of Chambéry where it was damaged by a fire in 1532, leaving scorch marks and water stains that are still visible on the fabric. The House of Savoy became its new owners and moved it to Turin, where it stayed at the Royal Chapel of the Cathedral of St. John the Baptist. In 1983, the holy year of my birth, it was legally turned over to the Catholic Church.
1: While the Vatican will not take a position on whether or not the Shroud is a full-blown relic, it encourages believers to venerate the Shroud as a symbol of Christ's suffering. Pope John Paul II stated once, The Church entrusts to scientists the task of continuing to investigate. That's pretty fair, I think. That is very diplomatic. Yeah, I like that.
0: The Shroud was initially ruled out as authentic when a carbon dating test placed it between 1260 and 1390, which is problematic because Jesus died about 1,200 years at least before then. It is important to remember that the fire could potentially affect this dating, however. In 1978, the U.S.-led Shroud of Turin Research Project, or STIRP, (laughs) was granted an unprecedented five days of continuous access to the Shroud itself in 1978. They proved ish they proved at that point that the negative image on the shroud uh, was accurate of a man that had sort of been burned into it and the stain, the blood stains on it were actual real blood stains so that much was true they did actually prove
1: that so the big question is how the image of a crucified man was imposed on the cloth researchers have tried to do this and cannot viviano reports Italy's National Agency for New Technologies, Energy, and Sustainable Economic Development, INA, 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 Ina c- conducted five <laughs> years of experiments using state-of-the-art excimer, 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 I don't know. Eczema? Yeah, I don't know. Lasers. It's some sort of laser. <laughs> they, state-of-the-art lasers to train short bursts of ultraviolet light on raw linen in an effort to simulate the image's... Co- coloration the ina team which published its findings in 2011 which pub- published its findings in 2011 came tantalizing close to approximating the image's distinctive hues on a few square centimet- centimeters of fabric but they were unable to match all the physical and chemical characteristics of the shroud image nor could they reproduce a whole human figure the <laughs> ultraviolet light necessary to do so exceeds the maximum power released by all ultraviolet light resources available today says Doct- says d lazaro 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 yeah sure it requires pulses having durations shorter than 140 billionth of a second and intensities on the order of several billion watts
0: Yeah, this is the guy, DeLazaro is the guy from the uh, National Agency for New Technologies, Energy, and Sustainable Economic Development um, that was on the project.
1: So lights. Lights. We don't have enough. We don't have enough. enough (laughs) We don't have good (laughs) enough lights. Our lights aren't
0: good, Sarah. They can't do it. Uh, So Viviano, the reporter, asks, if the most advanced technologies available in the 21st century could not produce a facsimile of the shroud image, how could it have been executed by a medieval forger?
1: Well, Life Science fires some shots back in its article, Shroud of Turn is a Fake, Blood Stains Suggest, by Charles Q. Choi. Charles Q. Choi, <laughs> published in July of 2018. Choi suggests the blood was painted on, and researchers put blood on a volunteer and had them lay on a fabric and noted the stains didn't match the pattern of how Jesus reportedly died. First, can you imagine? Can you imagine being that volunteer? That would be hilarious. Like, somebody comes up to you and is like, uh, can we just, like, maybe paint some blood on you? It's it's probably not human. We're not sure. But uh, just, can you just chill? We've got to do an experiment.
0: Uh, you know what? I can't, but I'm not saying I wouldn't do it. I'm saying call me. These <laughs> Especially if the price is right. I... That would be a metal, really metal, and you'd have a good story, right? (laughs) It's true. Uh, CNN notes in an article called Shroud of Turin Still Surrounded with Mystery and Passion by Julia Buckley in December of 2019 interview scientist Emanuela Marinelli, who notes that of the 58 pollen specimens on the fabric, three quarters were from plants indigenous to the region of Palestine – only 17 were from plants that are found in France and Italy, where the shroud had been since the 14th century quote-unquote discovery. The only plausible explanation is that the shroud was in Jerusalem before it came to Europe. So, I don't know, like, this is the one that we've talked about that I feel like could, I, you know, I mean, I don't know, but
1: I I think the case is open on this one. Okay, so question. Let's assume that it's let's look at other pieces of fabric that have been around for a long long time. Okay. Thousands of years. Okay. Well, we've got
0: scraps of papyrus that like the like the Dead Sea scrolls that
1: was stored in a cave. Right, but the deal is is that all of those were untouched. They were left to just be. Yeah. And um and like a common known thing for like museums is that you can't touch the paintings because your o- the hand oils will Which is stupid i want to touch all of them I'm just <laughs> kidding well like you know yeah degrade. no i would totally yeah and so i'm wondering like could could the shroud have could the shroud exist or could the shroud remain intact if it had been handled by so many people over so many centuries you know i don't know I mean, I feel the I feel like the fact that people are researching it so much must mean that it's
0: possible. But I don't know. Like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know that I necessarily have an opinion. This is for the fact that this one's got such a question mark on it. I just love that. Like, yeah, I love a fun. solid mystery. I don't even know that I ever want it to be solved. Like, I just I just like the mystery of it.
1: Yeah, we got to get a uh, fucking Nick Cage on this case. I'm going to find if the shroud of Turin is real, Sarah. We got to get Dan Brown yes. and Nick Cage together. <laughs> yes. And, yes. And they will on this solve all uh, the worlds. Problems.
0: Yeah, I do like that the pollen samples and the like <laughs> the fact that we don't have good light or whatever. <laughs> uh the image on it as being such as like explosive image seem make it seem like uh there's more to the story than we've really. Yeah. But I I don't I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I don't know let's leave, like, can we leave this in the fir- the firmly firmly unsolved camp, Sarah?
1: I think we can. Also yes. question, is it possible to forge that like the um the pollen samples from Jerusalem are those from plants that were only available in like ancient Jerusalem, or mm. are they still around? undetermined? I don't know. That's a great question. Asking the good questions, Sarah. I, all, I have no answers. I just have questions.
0: So we're going to leave this undetermined and unsolved.
1: Next up. Unsolved mysteries.
0: <laughs> um, next up is the Scala Sancta. According to an article on Live Science entitled, Holy Stairs Opened for a First Time in Nearly 300 Years, Did Jesus Really Climb Them? by Owen Jarrus. In april of 2019 the stairs are a set of 28 marble steps that are supposedly from a palace where pontius pilate ruled as prefect and jesus walked up these stairs on the way to that trial that would ultimately end in the death penalty for him according to legend emperor constantine's mother Hel- helena later sainted brought these steps to rome in the fourth century
1: how okay sorry
0: <laughs> no, no no I've got a lot of I got a lot of questions about this one and that's a that's for starters yes
1: how is a great question <laughs> <laughs> there have been the object of veneration with uh, faithful people climbing the steps on their knees would covered the stairs for 300 years in order to protect them from the wear and tear of all these knees all these bees <laughs> knees <laughs> hashtag all these knees <laughs> it's nobody's bees knees what goes on on these stairs <laughs> Um, but the vatican removed the wood and restored them so folks can see them again um google a picture and you'll find some old marble stairs in good condition
0: also google all these knees (laughs) if the vatican is not using that as their hashtag on this i'm really upset (laughs)
1: hashtag all these knees
0: um so the reporter, Jarus interviewed uh, Jody Magnus, archaeologist and religion professor at UNC Chapel Hill, who stated that, from a scientific standpoint, I put the likelihood that these steps came from Pilate's Palace in Jerusalem at about zero. Pilate's Palace was destroyed with the rest of Jerusalem by the Romans around the year 70, uh, which is when uh, the Romans uh, invaded uh, Jerusalem and kind of put it into the government there and raised it to the ground. And... This is long before Helena would have visited the Holy Land in the fourth century. Also, Pilate's palace would have originally been built by King Herod, and neither Herod nor anyone else in his kingdom used marble for construction. Um, Marble is not found anywhere in Palestine and was almost never used in construction. Uh, Magnus said, certainly not in Herod's time or before 70 CE, for that matter. And another scholar, Orit Peleg Barkhat, a lecturer at the Hebrew University's Institute of Archaeology in Jerusalem said, since very little marble was used in Israel-Palestine prior to the second century, there is a very little chance, I am afraid, that the staircase is authentic.
1: So a report from ABC News noted that the Vatican Museum Restorers described how moving it was to uncover the original stairs, which contained three small bronze crosses embedded in the marble and spots believed to be stained by Jesus' blood. Why don't they cross-reference that blood with the blood on the Shroud Return? Ooh!
0: That's a great... I wonder if there's not enough. I mean, they got all these <laughs> knees
1: yes. on it. Those knees. These, <laughs> all these knees. All these knees. These knees. <laughs> uh, they also found large furrows Running along each step Which they deduced Deduced
0: They sure lock up in here
1: <laughs> Which they deduced Were caused by the toes of pilgrim's shoes As they knelt and rose To move up to the next step Over the course of centuries
0: Hashtag tons of toes <laughs> <laughs> uh, So my question at this point is doesn't really matter if it's real, because these people are getting something out of it. So stew on that a minute, listener. Uh, but before we get to that, we should talk about our own experiences with relics. Um, so for me, um, I uh, went on a cruise with family to, um, in the Mediterranean, which was really awesome. And I got to see um, this place. Um, it's, it's called Mary's House uh, near Ephesus. Um, And it's supposedly where, according to legend, so Jesus dies on the cross. uh, John, uh, one of the disciples, um, supposedly at this point, takes Mary to Ephesus and establishes a church there and um, takes care of Mary in this house. And um, the house, a part of the house dates back to the first century, um, but it. You know, of course, we can't prove one way or the other that she lived there or didn't live there. But it was really amazing being there just because anytime you stand in a place where something's old, you're like, wow, this shit's old. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, That's not necessarily profound, but it's, it's just like, oh, my gosh, a lot of people have been here. They've poured their, like, veneration into it. They've poured their, like, prayers into it and hopes and dreams and – I think it makes any place like that special um, regardless of if it's real or not and so I really enjoyed going there and you know hearing um, we we were so fortunate to have a guide who was actually an archaeologist, a local archaeologist from Turkey and um, it was very sweet he talked about how much he really liked um, he was Muslim and guarding these relics uh, was like an interfaith sort of charge for him um, along with the rest of the um, the Muslim archaeologist. And then we went to John's Church, the remnants of supposedly St. John's Church, and then the um, the Colosseum, the, the, the historic city of Ephesus, um, which, you know, if you've read the Bible, there's the book of Ephesians that's referencing the people of Ephesus, um, and saw the buildings there, and also the Colosseum where uh, Paul would have actually preached. And so there is this sense of gravitas, like this history there when you go to these places of like, oh my gosh, you know, I've read about these places and it carries the weight of history. So I felt very, uh, I would say like somber and um, serious as I was standing in those places, really reflecting on all these things I'd read about. Um, And because some of them are objectively true, I guess the Ephesus Coliseum is there and Paul reportedly did preach there um, others were a little bit more amalgamous as to whether or not the church or the house were really Johns and Mary's, but um, it's pretty fascinating it does it does carry a very serious experience, I think,
1: yeah, yeah, it's weird so so while you're talking while we've been talking about relics, I can't help, but um. I can't help but want to bring up religious kitsch which is the opposite of a relic right Mm -hmm. it's very temporal and um and and kitschy it's Mm -hmm. not meant to last but it's also imbued with this like the people who choose it are choosing it because of their own the gravitas that they're perceiving it to be right so it's like an individual small thing that they can hold on to when you
0: say religious kitsch, like, what would your example be for that?
1: Um, like, uh, you know, a statue of, of Mary, Mother of God. Yeah, or like, like you put in,
0: a, or like a, um, like a St. Francis that you put in the garden. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. I've actually got a lot of little, like, religious kitschy things that I've gotten at several different places. I love, <laughs> I actually love religious kitsch. I do. Oh,
1: I do, too. Oh, it's so fun. I do, too. Um, And like when I was in Egypt and we were, you know, we were at the pyramids and we went to the Nag Hammadi library and we saw like bits of the Nag Hammadi and we went to the Egyptian library and there were all these like fascinating, crazy, cool things. Like the most impactful part of it was going to a cop, like an old Coptic church and in it they were, um, so. Coptic Christianity celebrates the new year like their calendar is different Mm -hmm. Um, and so they still had up a bunch of like Christmas decorations and things like that and it was all like super kitsch like you know the fake grass and like there's it's like there's dust all over it and it's just like there are blinking lights and it was like I loved it I loved it I I just I love that stuff I don't know, maybe because it is so temporal and there's something about hope that is exactly that. It's not, Mm -hmm. hope isn't meant to be a longstanding consistency, I don't think. Like, I mean, maybe it is, but it changes with you. And I I like that about the individual hope that you get to ascribe to to an object rather than, Trying to find meaning in something that's already had the, I don't know, meaning put into it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, that totally makes sense.
0: I don't know. That's so, I like, I love that imagery. Oh my gosh, I want to go. Um, okay. So, closer to home for me and probably in a community near you, listener, there are saint bones in churches. At St. Martin of Tours in Louisville, there are saint bones on either side of the altar encased in glass. I've been to see them, and it's cool and it's creepy and so fun to see. According to Atlas Obscura, the bones arrived in the early 20th century to the church from the Vatican. Um, And tradition holds that, uh, so the names of them are uh, Bonosa and Magnus, and Bonosa was apparently a Roman virgin executed for her Christian beliefs, maybe during the reign of Septimius Severus in the 3rd century CE, or under Diocletian, who in the 4th century ordered one of the largest and bloodiest official persecutions of Christians. As for Magnus, one story has it that while Bonosa was being put to death at the Colosseum, this man, allegedly a Roman centurion, was so moved by her courage that he converted and eventually was executed for the deed so these are great stories no way to prove if these bones are who they say they are Um, but uh but so like fun that they're just like these skeletons on the (laughs) side of the altar like amazing right Uh, i want to know from you folks are there bones near you are there sites religious pilgrimage sites near you and we want to hear your stories on this um, because we like religious kitsch. We like relics. We like learning all about this stuff. And before we close out, I just want to get uh, – I just want to kind of talk in general about your opinion on relics. Does it matter if they're real? Does it matter uh, – I, I mean, like, as I was reading this stuff about, you know, the scale of sancta, like, I don't think it's real. But also people get something out of it. And, like, I can't – i people's experience I think matters – more necessarily than if the thing itself is real like they're getting something out of it so I, I don't who am I to like piss sure. on their parade
1: you know like, well, I mean yeah I mean sure like uh you know how you like you occasionally find out about museums that are um displaying forgeries but nobody yeah. knows and you're still getting something out of it you're still like seeing the beautiful work but it's not it's not representing what it's saying it's representing right yeah so i mean yeah i think we get to choose the kind of the kind of message that we get out of a, a thing or like the kind of how we understand the beauty that we get out of a thing that kind of stuff
0: yeah and like i guess for me like whenever i was standing in mary's house more so than the Colosseum, because the coliseum is a little bit more like historically verifiable but the but mary's house it was one of those things where what struck me i, th- I think really more than the potential historicity of it was the fact that so many people had prayed there and Mm -hmm. like shared their hopes there like those walls are imbued with so much like hope and longing and humanity that there's a there's something beautiful about that that's uh, undeniable regardless of whether or not if it's real or not that I don't know there's just something uh, as a you know Empathetic person, or someone who tries to be empathetic, that there's just a sense of beauty about that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know that it really matters if it's real or not. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. We're so
1: postmodern, Sarah. Can that be my adjective? The, post- <laughs> the postmodern agnostic. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that a lot. Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. We love you all. Um, please find us at SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher. Um and you can contact us um, let us know if you've seen any relics
0: uh, or veneration sites or religious kitsch um, please let us know at Bible Bitches on Twitter you can let us know on our Bible Bitches fan page on Facebook um, and we want to just give a huge thanks to Engage Gaze um, G-A-Z-E uh, for hosting our website on their platform um, a big thanks to at Aaron Doodles on Twitter he's, he's designed our artwork and um, just a really cool dude, uh, very good cartoonist. And Miss Eves, you can find her at Yo Eve. She does her intro and outro music and is just coming out with a lot of new stuff, lots of fun stuff. Um, please follow her and give her likes. Uh, and we look forward to hearing from you and talking to you next time. Bye. Bye. We love you. Love you. Bye.